NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra. All dirt, all rodeo, all year. I remember being a kid at Rapid City uh, Stock Show, and I was just at that age, I was sneaking behind the chutes wanting to watch the buck and horses. And if you've ever been up to Rapid City in the wintertime, the Black Hills Stock Show is the biggest thing going. Like it's the only thing you could really look forward to in a terrible winter up there in about four states. So it's a big thing, right? When they bring the pro rodeo there, every big dog's there, world champ, everybody that all the kids want to beat you, right? So, so we sneak behind the buck and chutes. We're sitting on them and Flint's going around the arena, giving away free stuff. And and we've talked to Flint before a little bit, not like we're friends or anything, but I mean, seeing him around the rodeos and I'm, we're like, hey, right here, Flint, right here. He's driving by in a truck. He goes, do you pay for that seat? NFR Extra, episode 104. We're not horsing around with Lee Olson from Olson Equine. We get the 101 lesson, how to be a successful farrier in the equine world. Lee talks about his electric path, no pun, to becoming one of the well-known chewers in the business. A, a farrier too, like, you know, Brylin can contest it. to this is that, you know, a farrier can cause as many problems as they can fix if they're not heads up. I mean, if they're not, if they don't really know, I mean, just about anybody can just go slap iron on a hoof. But as far as being a professional farrier and, you know, a lot of guys be like, well, I don't do any corrective shoeing. <laughs> That's like, dude, every shoeing you do should it's be corrective. corrective. Every time you're underneath a foot, it should be a corrective, you know what I mean? Countering whatever that foot is doing on a natural side. And Lee gets into a lot of that stuff too. And I've got another one of my friends that he he had a horse that was, uh, you know, he, he shoes like hunter jumpers and, and uh, eventers and dressage horses, um, you know, that like Olympic level sort of stuff. So that's a different, you know, that's a different deal to where you're talking about like, um, you know, NASCAR versus drag racing versus whatever. It's like, you got to have somebody that's point specific in that field to really excel at it. So when you're thinking about performance or if you're dealing with like speed of a horse or competition, just those little nudges of where that farrier may not just that one shoe, man, pulls you off a tenth of a second you lose that gold medal right like this it almost falls in the same line of where this farriers can make the difference within barrel racing anything right i think the best way to like explain this for you to understand envy is the same thing as like soccer you wear cleats on the field but you have you have indoor shoes right like they're flat bottom sold Mm -hmm. which is way different than a cleat to the grass. Same kind of concept would come into play with rodeo horses versus a hunter jumper or a polo horse per se. Like they're playing on different turfs or playing on different settings. So their yeah. feet have to be set up correctly in order to move correctly. Gated horses and everything else. Okay, yeah, yeah. that but that's some like when I started reading about this, I was like, there is a million different ways to look at a horse and how you gotta take care of it and what it all the the variations Dynamic 
yeah that the, the horses do in this on this planet earth basically so even just look just look at running shoes like where everybody's running right so look at the different builds to where like you me and brylon would all be fitted for a different running shoe right like you look at CrossFit guys that have a shoe that they have to lift weights in and be able to go run in versus marathon runners versus sprinters versus everything. But then, so it's not only what type of shoe to use, but like I've got my, my other buddy, he'll sit there and have his his assistant video the horse while he's watching the horse so he can go back and look at the horse and focus in on like a certain foot on how that horse is traveling, how it's landing, what he's seeing. So you have to watch the way that that horse travels. It's just like the Nike thing where they put you on the whatever machine to see how that, you know, how your foot lands and all that sort of stuff. So there's, you know, a lot of people will, will complain about, man, I don't want to spend $100 or $150 on a horse. It's like you just spent $30,000 purchasing this horse. Yeah. You know, wouldn't you want to make sure? Same thing as the Ferrari. It's like you're going to buy a Ferrari, but then put the cheapest set of whatever brand tires on it. It's like, no, you want the right set of tires for that vehicle, whatever it is, perform to the best of its ability. Man, that makes sense. So, But also, these, a farrier, does it also... Do they specialize in all these areas or do they just stay within a rodeo lane or you, know, you brought up hunter jumper or equestrian things? I mean, or is someone that wears a lot of hats? I mean, I, I that's where I kind of get lost in this world because like, there's so many different horses I think that do the things. the biggest thing to know is that like no feet, no horse. Everything with a horse starts at its feet. Like realistically, if a horse is lame, like it doesn't matter if it has a sound gut. It doesn't matter anything else if it can't walk right? Like everything starts at the feet. And that's always just like what my grandpa used to say, like you don't tend to the feet. It doesn't matter how much supplements you put in. It doesn't matter anything else. If it can't walk, it can't walk. Yeah. And that's so just that's, where the importance of like the brand, yeah. the person who's doing it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that people stay kind of sort of in their realm. Like there's levels, there's yeah. levels for sure. Because you have guys that are, you know, if a good, a good shoer will be able to transition the same way a good mechanic can transition whatever it's like but if you dude there's gmc mechanics and there's chrysler mechanics you know not that they couldn't transition over but it would take some acclimating to figuring out what the demand for this specific product is so the same thing is like the the reigning cow horse deal is those horses are looking for you know less traction to slide be able to slide you know versus you get the jumpers where you don't want them having their hind legs going underneath them. So when you get to certain levels, I think that's where you see the differentiation between the different shoers to where these guys are like, this is what I do. You know, this is the, I don't do anything other than this. I only go to these shows. I only go to that. And the same thing, like, my, you know, I'm sure that we'll, we'll listen to Lee dive into what he does to where he could shoe a jumper or uh, an eventer or a dressage horse or a racehorse. Is that his specialty? No, you know, but those yeah. guys, when they get to certain levels, they will find a niche and a specialty and then focus on that. And I, wow, it's fascinating. I mean, and man, it seems like it's good money if you know what you're doing. You know, like, and, and it's more of a passionate gig, but it ends up paying off really well on the, the other side on the paycheck as well, because of, to your point, when you buy a $30,000 horse, well, that comes with the maintenance of that $30,000 horse, which there's costs involved. That's well, what the and a lot of these too, like 30,000 is just, I mean, that's essentially just a team roping horse. Now Yeah. you get into your upper level barrel horses, and then you get into like your top level rainers and cutters and dressage and racers. You're talking hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars 
or an animal that you know is a perishable commodity and good point after a certain point in time is <laughs> going to be rapidly diminishing its value yeah kind of like investing in a vehicle it just goes downhill from there mm. yeah. yeah or the stupid crazy. thing can step out of the trailer wrong and break its leg and then you're you're done enjoy our conversation with lee olson listen to the end for last call with steve and his good buddy nfr announcer andy silent on nfr extra Finding your custom NFR experience in Las Vegas just got a lot easier. New This Year is a resource that links you to every hotel offer. At nfrexperience.com forward slash stay your way, you can shop for the hotel that best fits your plans. Everything is there. Information on viewing parties, concerts, price, transportation, location, and so much more. All in one place. Go to nfrexperience.com forward slash stay your way. One Vegas. Stay your way. This is Casey Field, five-time world champion bareback rider, and you are listening to NFR Extra. Horseman at heart, Lee understands the whole horse. His love for horses began early, roping and training horses on his parents' cattle and horse ranch in South Dakota from the time he could hold the reins. He rodeoed both amateur and professionally for several years before becoming a farrier. He qualified for the College National Finals Rodeo three times and the Badlands Pro Rodeo Circuit Finals two times. As an AFA Certified Journeyman Farrier, Lee works on some of the top performance horses in multiple disciplines. Additionally, he is the resident therapeutic farrier at Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Weatherford, Texas. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Lee Olson, welcome to NFR Extra. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are glad to have you on. Kind of learn a little bit about diving into your world and looking at your business. You know, as me not being the, the resident horse guy, rodeo guy, or anything Western lifestyle, pretty fascinated with, by what you do. But I don't want to explain it because I think I'd be doing it injustice. Can you give us kind of your two-minute elevator pitch, <clears throat> even if you go beyond it, totally good, about what you do in the business of the horse and Western lifestyle? I think there's two things you should never be good about talking about yourself and kissing a girl that's leaning away from you. So it's always super awkward trying to tell people about yourself. Uh, I run a multi-farrier uh, business in Weatherford, Texas, and I also do a four-year apprenticeship program. It's kind of unique in the fact that um, most farriers just have a helper. And I got really tired of, of that lifestyle. So I molded this four-year apprenticeship program and the fact that I wanted to kick out quality people, because what would happen is I would get people that wanted to come work for you and they'd get a high day rate. They wouldn't be invested in the quality at all. And they would leave as soon as somebody's ready to pay them a hundred bucks. Well, they leave too early. They make both of us look bad. They hurt horses. They hurt both of our reputation. And finally, I just said, that is enough. So I started this and I've got three people under me now. And we're about to hire one more person. And because uh, uh, the, the quality of people that I've got under me are just amazing. They're, they really make my business look good. And one guy's at four years, one guy's at two years, one guy's at a year right now. And the idea is to just keep stepping them up. My four-year guy is Tyler Robinson. He's a journeyman. He's amazing. Kelton Harris is um, on year two, and he's pretty darn good himself. And then Jeb Hunt and he's about to pass his certification. So we do mainly haul here. Uh, I have a shop on my place that's climate controlled. 
And then we, we try to go to one big account during the week, or I do. And then I send my guys out to other accounts and service smaller accounts that wouldn't be able to come to us. How did you get into horseshoe? I grew up in South Dakota and I grew up ranching and rodeoing. And if you know how ranching goes, you pretty much are required to do everything, whatever's needed. Right. So then pretty soon I, we trim, trim our own sometimes. And uh, then I'm training horses, you know, and going to school. I went to, well, first off, I guess um, I went to, went to rodeo in college on, full rides for two years. And all I was doing was partying and rodeo. And I'd have been way better off just to go rodeo because I spent way more than, than if I'd have just treated it like I was a professional. But so I finally hit a wall with that. And well, just in the fact that I just had this moment where I'm like, what are you doing right now? You're just blowing money. You're getting nowhere. You're taking easy classes. And I said, you know, I'm going to go work with my brain and not my back. And I'm going to go to electrician school. So I go to electrician school and end up making uh, qualifying for the college finals three times in this time. So I'm still having fun rodeoing, but I get pretty serious about the electrician dude right up until I graduate and I spend a summer working for an electrician. There isn't a man alive that works harder than an apprentice electrician. If there's a ditch that needs dug, if there's a wire that needs pulled, you're the man. So I was like, well, this sucks. So if I'm going to work hard, I might as well get paid for it. So I went to this little horseshoeing class. It's like five days and I learned just enough to be dangerous. And I was shoeing my own horses and I had a lot of outside horses and I was rodeoing circuit rodeoing then and all of a sudden I was just shoeing more and shoeing more. And we ended up moving to Texas and I needed a job. And I just decided I was a horseshoer and very low level horseshoer as it turns out, but there's more to that story. Did you, did you have any, any apprenticeship with anybody similar to what you're putting these guys through? No, but that would have, I didn't go to, I didn't go to horseshoeing school. I didn't do an apprenticeship. It was all hard knocks, man. And, uh, that would have, in hindsight, that's the number one thing I could have done. If you got to pick going to school or doing an apprenticeship, do an apprenticeship every single time. But, um, so what I did is I shot for a long time and I was doing some pretty nice rodeo horses and, 90, 100 bucks in Stephenville, Texas. I was working so hard that I could, my son was just a baby at the time, Trace, who's nine now. And I couldn't even pick him up out of bed. My back was so bad. Seriously, it, it hurt. And I would wear um, bloody spots on my elbows because my back hurt so bad when I would get down that I'd have to rest on my, on my apron just so that I could hold myself up and work. And times were pretty rough then. We were, uh, my wife's a nurse, Jamie. And uh, you had to keep working, you know, so just kind of worked through it. And, but it gave me a big realization that you can only make money to uh, make more money shoeing horses two ways. And that's you charge more or you do more. And there's no way I could do more. So I decided I needed to get certified. Right. So I go into Texas certification and everybody's like, oh, Lee, you're the best. You'll no worries on that. Well, I failed. And it's not rocket science. It's just, you just have to shoe to their standards. It's a test. And then you have to pass a written test and shoe modifications. So when I failed that, it was, I don't take losing very well. And it lit a fire inside of me that hasn't gone out today. And I went to 11 clinics the next year 
and I passed my certification. But right then and there in that arena in Stephenville, Texas, where I failed, I said, I will be a journeyman. And I don't care how far I got to take it. I don't care what I got to do. I didn't say it arrogantly. I just said, I will follow this to the end of the earth if I have to, but I will win. And I did. I later, I later passed. And at that moment, I've never made a handmade shoe in my life. I thought they were dumb. Um, why would you do that when you can buy any shoe on the shelf, right? But the thing is, is that what you learn through the process of the hows and the whys and how comes, that is what molds a great professional in any field is just knowing everything about it. So I end up passing that. And, uh, but then I really, but then I didn't shut the switch off there though, because it's so dangerous. And that was such an awakening moment for me that you don't know what you don't know. And so I realized how important it was to get outside help. And I fly, I have a mentor from England named Grant Moon. He's amazing. Best carrier in the world. And he comes over here and he just assesses our business. We don't bring in the public. It's just for me and my guys. We bring in some hard cases and it's like, what would you do? What do you see in my business? What do you see in my guys? You just, I bring in other people too, but sorry for the long story, but there's really no shorter way to say that. It's good. We need every bit of it. But I want to backpedal because you mentioned that you qualified for the college national finals three times. What event were you competing in? That was team roping. So I grew up in Dupree, South Dakota. And if you've ever been to South Dakota, you know how they got like Friday night lights in Texas to where like, if you don't play football, like might yeah. get beat up at lunch. You're the, you're the sissy kid, you know? Well, that's how Brown Crichton is where I grew up. There's three world champions or three NFR guys that were right in my hometown. If you've ever heard of Bud Longbreak, he made the NFR. He lives in Dupree. I graduated with his son and two of his nephews. So, I mean, we rode anything that would buck. I mean, we, uh, we got on Colts, like guys shoot basketballs. And like, I mean, I've been on countless Colts at Johnny Holloway's barn in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. So bronc riding used to be my main thing. And man, I loved it. It, it's like a drug. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. But I was also roping a lot then too. I played football and I boxed a little also in high school, but I kind of did all the events. I won the all around in South Dakota, my senior year. And, and then that's why colleges were interested in me is because they can pick one guy and get a bunch of points. Right. But I shattered my face when I was in Dickinson, North Dakota, going to school at a AI clinic, which is kind of funny because my dad has a big cattle ranch and I let this big old Charlay killer cow mow me down and just, KO'd my face, uh, both eye sockets, pushed my nose through my skull, um, shattered my face plate. It, I was millimeters from dying. I, I came back from that and I was riding Bronx and I was team roping. And I remember riding this fucking horse at Rapid City, South Dakota one time. And for about seven seconds, he was just easy, just slow hopper, boom, boom. And I was spurning him and I, I, they made me ride with a mask and I fell off, literally fell off. Like, that's a pet peeve for bronc riders. You don't fall off in bronc riding, right? Well, I fell off this horse and I was so mad. I was, that was so frustrating. I was like, you've been lukewarm your whole rodeo career. It is time to pick one. So I said, well, I love bronc riding and I love heading. Well, what are we going to do? I thought, well, there's a lot more future in heading than there is in bronc riding. So I went with heading and uh, end up making the college finals in the heading three times 
And uh, I didn't even go my last time, though, because we were pro rodeoing a lot. And I made the circuit finals twice. I won the rookie in the Badlands circuit. And uh, just about – I ended up second in 07 and just about go to, got to go to the Dodge Circuit National Circuit Finals. And that was right during my – during our wedding, too. And I remember it was really close and it was very realistic if we could go. And that's when I knew I had a, <clears throat> a great wife because I said, well, what, what happens at the same time as our wedding? She goes – you just worry about rope and good. We'll get married whenever. And I was like, thank you, God, for this woman. <laughs> a woman that can postpone her wedding for another roping. Well, that's, yeah. I think that's team roping in general, right? Well, I didn't make the Dodge finals, but just her being willing, I thought that was pretty cool. This is NFR Extra, and our guest today, Lee Olson. Looking for tickets to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo? StubHub is the official secondary and fan-to-fan site of the rodeo. Fans can buy and sell their tickets through a safe and secure online marketplace. Visit nfrexperience.com. The Yeti Junior World Final. He is back in Vegas. From December 2nd through 11th, the next generation of rodeo stars will compete at the Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas, held daily inside the Wrangler Rodeo Arena. Visit nfrexperience.com for details. This is Jake Bedler, world champion, right here on NFR Extra. Lee Olson is here on NFR Extra. How do you market your business? Is this a business that is just word of mouth because of like the industry (laughs) that we're in? Or is there a specific route that you take? Okay, so I actually do presentations at the Farrier Conventions on this, so... I'll really try to give you the short version here. But what I did is, what I did in my business is a lot different than most farriers do. There's a, most farriers, I feel, not trying to offend anybody here, but they, they have this desire to be full, to say, I'm full. I've got all the clients I need. Can't take any more. Well, my uncle, who's a very successful retired stockbroker, sat me down one day. And he says, your business and my business and a lot of other businesses are all the same way. We all have this clientele that we're after. There's the cream in every industry that everybody wants. Your bottom end clients take your most time and cost you the most money. So you just cut them, get rid of them, get done with them, give them to somebody else. Yeah, they're nice people. Yeah, you know, their dog and their cat and their kids, but you got to move on so that you can give up the good for the great. And, you know, my mentor Grant Moon was here and uh, he was helping me with the same thing. And he, he says, so what's your goal? And this is a time when I had like a, at a glance uh, folder, you know, scheduler. And he's like, what's your goal? I said, I want some big cutting accounts. And he goes, well, where are you going to put them? Every single day is full on your calendar. Where are you going to put them? I'm like, well, I don't know. He said, well, they ain't going to wait. When those good clients call, they want in right now. So you tell them it's going to be five, six weeks, you're going to miss them. So that was literally within the same two weeks or so. So I kind of molded both of their deal together. Oh, sorry. Grant said, don't fire them. I told him what my uncle said about cutting them. And he goes, don't fire them. Absolutely not. Grant says, you're going to have to fire my ass is my theory. So 
<laughs> so he just said, keep raising their prices until they want to stay great. So what I ended up doing, short version, categorize your clientele. This will work in literally any business, A, B, C, and D. I don't care why, but the top quarter are in A, B, C, and D. And then the Ds, for whatever reason they're in the Ds, just got them raised. So if they leave, great. You got room for a good client. If they stay, I don't know about you, but in your any business, if you got a client that's playing, paying 25% more, 40% more, whatever makes you smile, they're no longer a D client. They're probably like a B. So now they move up the list. Somebody leaves. You got a room for someone else when they call because we all have this certain time to work. It doesn't matter if you want to work seven days a week, five days a week, two days a week, one afternoon. You only have a limited amount of time. So you've got to capitalize on those moments. So in my multi-farrier business, it kind of lets us grow to where we've got more hands so we can go different places so we can ultimately double our clientele. So when you do that model on a bigger scale, it's just, just a multiplier, I guess. How do you stay with, is there a lane that Lee Olson stays in or are you pretty wide open? Cause I mean, as I've learned the horse industry is different approaches for sports. Are you talking about different disciplines in the shooting yeah, yeah, industry? Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so my theory is, is that I just, it sounds cheesy, but I just love helping horses. I truly do. It gets me out of bed. It keeps me up at night when I do it wrong. It, um, I don't care what they do. Everybody asks me, what's your favorite horse to shoot? I don't care if it's dressage. I don't care if it's cutting horse. I don't care if it's a backyard horse. I don't care if it's the head horse of the year. Whatever. I just want to shoe someone's favorite horse. I don't want to shoe the horse you don't care about. I want to shoe the horse that you really care about. And I could care less what discipline it is. Because I'll tell you what happens. It doesn't matter how good you shoe a horse if it's every eight weeks. It doesn't matter if this horse really needs something special and the owner won't pay that to put it on. When you run into that good horse, when they just say whatever he needs, and I'm not talking about taking advantage of people at all. I'm saying you need to do whatever that horse needs to set him up for success. And when you're working on those good horses, those people, they just say anything he needs. So when I say, hey, this foot's a wreck, you know, this, could, this, this foot could really use some additional shoeing, maybe some heart bar shoes, maybe some pour in pads or whatever it is. And then I'll, then I'll top it off with, you know, I'd really like you to get with your vet on this deal too, because all of this wreckage that we just fixed in the feet has got to have some inflammation. Nearly 100% of the time they go to the vet, that horse has something wrong someplace else. You get them all fixed up. You fix the entire horse because you can't just fix one part. You know, compensatory lameness gets sore up front and moves to the back front. We have to work as a team. And the only way to really fix all of that is to attack it like you want to fix the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, the horse is 100% better and owners pumped. And those are, those are my favorite horses. So the term corrective shoeing. What do you, yeah. what do you think when you hear that? I think of every guy that puts a business card in a feed store. When you say corrective, that's what I think. Hot, <laughs> cold, corrective. I can do it all, whatever. So it's like when you start off shoeing horses, you know, everybody's just trying to hustle business and people are tight with their money. Say, and it's fine. I get it. I'm not saying you got to blow your money on horses. 
So you've got this horse and then you've got the $9,800 farrier like I used to be. And there's like, oh yeah, this horse has ring bone. Do you know how to fix it? <laughs> you bet I do. Hold on, let me see what ring bone is real quick here first. So <laughs> that's truly the way it works though. So when you talk about corrective, um, we do, we work, we mainly work on therapeutic horses that are vet referrals from several vet clinics in the area or that people have seen our stuff on social media that come from a long ways away that want to see if we can have a last shot at their horse. And I love those instances. Like I tell all the vets around here that if you're about to put a horse down, I'll, I'll do it for free, but I want a shot at it because there's some of those times, I mean, they're past the point of repair, but a lot of those times you can do something to help that horse. So when you get into the corrective world, everybody says they can, but. You are listening to NFR Extra with our guest, Lee Olson of Olson Equine. Let's take a quick break. NFR Extra follows cowboys, talks to legends and country stars, and finds the stories that make up the season that leads to the annual showdown in December. Follow me, Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Goder as we delve deep into the stories in and behind the road to gold. Listen to NFR Extra on Rural Radio, channel 147 on Sirius XM every Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, with a re-air Tuesday in the same time slot. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. This is Stetson Wright, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Lee Olson here on NFR Extra. Clearly, family is important in, in any industry you do, but talk to us about your family, man, and what it means to you and how it all makes your kind of your engines roar. Well, so, you know, I used to be the typical rodeo guy that was super worried about myself, and uh, that's all that mattered. And uh, then we got married and I've been married to, with, to Jamie Olson for, uh, I should get this right, uh, 13 years, 13 and a half years. And uh, we have a nine-year-old son named Trace and a one and a half-year-old son named Eli. And honestly, this is the second phase of my presentations that I do actually. But family to me is the most important part. And in a business like ours, you have to be so careful because people... I mean, people don't care. Like if you say, I can shoot your horse on this day, they're like, great. They don't know that you're skipping your son's baseball game. They don't know that it's a Saturday and you really plan to go to, to the lake with your wife or whatever. They don't care if you say you can do it on Christmas. So you have to draw hard lines. In our business, it's very common for people to work weird hours. I work banker hours, banker hours, nothing before eight nothing after five and we try to quit early and there is special circumstances all the time. I'm not saying we won't make time for things that come up that are a true emergency, but if you just say yes to every phone call, you better get paid for that because your family is the one who's taking the short end of the stick. And uh, to me, there's no price for that because you only get one shot at raising your kids and, um, it's just a sad fact of life that everybody needs to come to terms with, in my opinion, is that if you don't take care of your relationships, I don't care if it's your kids, your wife, your friends, they'll leave you. It's, that's the way it is. So I take that very seriously. I don't let my work on Sundays. Well, I believe that you shouldn't work on Sundays anyway, but I don't, burnout is real, very real. So 
you have to protect that by recharging your batteries. If you're single, do your thing. But as far as I go, that's my family time. It's awesome. No, I agree with you too. And it's, I mean, for every man out there, that's a dad. I mean, right. We were raised by those, not sure how you were raised, but a lot of the older school dudes were like, you know, there was a certain way about things. And I don't think that, I think they've, things have changed, man, for the better. It's good for the, for the kids to have dad present in, uh, in the universe. Say, I grew up in a great family. They're amazing people. But when you're ranching, you, I think it's just ingrained with you that you make hay when the sun shines. I mean, heifers don't care what time it is or what day it is. They're going to calve yeah. whenever they want to. You know, they need fed every single day. So I guess that rolls into a lot of people's business models is what I'm saying. And if you have the option to fix that, you shouldn't. You're here. Yeah, that's the only thing that you can spend and never earn back is time. So that's, you know, especially with like those little kids. I mean, everybody's got to work and provide, but uh, having that mentality, I think, goes a long ways. Absolutely. You work in a pretty crazy cool business, but now, I mean, you kind of answered this question, but do you do you get brought on to events or are you attached to athletes or anything? What I'm bringing up is you got a lot of rodeos that run for many days. Are you brought into that business to help? I'm just going to make it up like a Trevor Brazil or someone that, you know, that only trust Lee. Do you have that relationship with athletes in the horse sporting world? Or, I mean, or do you just stick to that eight to five and you don't do other events outside of what you're saying? So actually you, you mean like being an on-site farrier somewhere at a yep. big event type of deal? Um, no, um, I've been in Vegas before when I had horses there and I just kind of, I was roping out there. Jamie and I like to team rope a lot and go places and rope together. But other than that, um, there's really no money in that. And that's another way to great way to take away from your family time and not make very much money. But the way our business works is it sounds like I'm a hard ass, I guess, when I say that. But the thing is, is that we'll bend over backwards for our clients. I mean, yes, they have to come here and lesser one of the few that we go to. But the average haul in to our shop is one hour. I mean, we have people driving five, six hours to get here. So whatever time works for them, whatever day, I mean, we'll, we'll move it around and be accommodating. So I guess the way it usually works is that you get that horse ready, ship shape to go to that event. You do them early, you do, you do whatever preventative deals you have to do to set them up for success at that and just hope you don't have a breakdown there. But Typically, if you send them out right, it's got to be a disaster for something to go wrong. Can you name drop some of the folks that lean on you uh, in the business that they've been like some of the rodeo side of things? Steve, what? <laughs> what's your joke about the name dropper? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was getting ready to say one thing George Strait told me. Nobody likes a name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So that's your answer, uh, MP. <laughs> um yeah but um i don't know it's so good, who do man. we work for that's important yeah. is that what you mean well i mean just you know people that like that a lot of people are you know our listeners like you know people that you may work with that are really good folks you know i mean there's a lot of great cowboys out there man that are, yeah are like yeah, guys I agree. I mean, for sure so um i don't do them anymore but i shod Hayden Bray's horses for eight years. We used to live right beside him and his family owns Equibrand, which is classic ropes and Martin Saddlery. And uh, it just got to where it's too far away. They are amazing people. I mean, Ken and Billy Bray, they are, they do so much behind the scenes for radio. 
that it's crazy and the whole world the whole rodeo industry should thank them and and uh i don't mean to sound jaded but when i when i took off rodeo and you know um i didn't go for a long time but i went for long enough to get a grasp i feel and you know i got to meet all my heroes i grew up wanting to ride bucking horses at the nfr wanting to rope at the nfr wanting to bulldog at the nfr i want to rope cattle on me ah. and um then you get out there and then you meet some guys and they're cheating on their wives and they're living in a trailer house and they're riding crippled horses and they money. And it just kind of breaks your heart, you know, because it's like, I don't want to be that guy. But then you meet some people like Paul Eves, Chad Masters, uh, Luke Brown, uh, Trevor Brazil. I don't know him well, but I think that guy is amazing. If I could head like anybody, it'd be him. Yeah, that's good. And <laughs> the the list the list the list goes on, you know. There's a bunch of great people out there that do a lot. Um as far as getting back to your original qu- question, we shoe for the owners of Metallic Cat. That's where I was this morning trimming horses and my um other two guys went to Chris Cox's. Um he's a close friend of mine. We do Clay Volmer. Clay Volmer's horses, that's another place that we drive to and he's a rain cow horse guy, snaffle bit guy. I I kind of got to where I I don't work for a lot of rodeo people because what we charge, a lot of them aren't a big fan of that. And uh, they're gone for half the year. I never really tried to appeal to, or never really tried to grow a business in a clientele that was gone half the year, like college kids or rodeo people. But I love them to death. I'll work for anybody. It's not like I tell anybody, no, I just say, this is where I am. This is what it costs. So, Yeah. I mean, look, man, I mean, you know, what's cool is the way you answered that was, uh, probably better than probably what we were looking for. You know, you kind of explained a little bit more roundabout of who you're involved with and things like that. And actually just touching on, on all the groups that you did. I mean, we've actually worked with a lot of those guys and they are, man, they're solid ass individuals. I mean, they're great to work with and they're good behind the scenes. And, you know, speaking of, speaking of that, you know, I've been listening to all your podcasts or majority of them. And you, you know, you've got some great people on there. Uh, like John Granny, I love that guy. Call him Mama, but he is a he is a great man. And uh, Joe Beaver, Pam Minnick, Flint Rasmussen, Donnie Gay, you know all the couch um, quarterbacks. They always make fun of things that Donnie Gay says. They always make thing fun of things that Joe Beaver said. Uh, they people, I mean, I've seen memes about Pam about like being a buckle bunny or something like that. That hurts my heart. Those people are God's gift to rodeo. You want to you you want to meet every single one of these people. They have done more than any world champion has done for the sport of rodeo. They are amazing. So Joe Beaver, he catches a lot of hell, and he used to be pretty wild, right? This guy talked to some kids that have been to his his clinics. He is a motivator. He empowers those kids, and I don't care if they quit roping the day after the school. Those kids are going to attack life like champions. Joe got in big trouble at the Texas high school finals a year or two ago or whatever, because he goes on on there and there's live or whatever on social media that says, Hey guys, you're the tip of the sword, you know, making the high school finals in Texas is better than making the national finals in other States. And that's, that was a boo-boo, but he's right though. (laughs) It is, it is tough here. And he, what he's trying to do is motivate him, empower him. Maybe he shouldn't have said that about the other other kids. But he's 
Texas high school finals is as tough as the national finals. Like he's Joe shows up to my shop and sells a horse to one of my clients and he's here and man, he's just super nice and classy. And they run some steers at my house. And I mean, this was the perfect horse. He was honest. You could rope both ends. You could run as many as you want to. He was exactly what he said. And he didn't gouge him. A lot of those guys, they'll, they'll just dirty gouge people when they can. So when I hear things, negative things about those guys, I, I think back about what I know about some guys at rodeo. I'm like, that's cool that you rope good. No one cares. Literally, no one cares. What have you done for everybody else? What about Pam Minnick? I know her and Billy very well. They do, they spent their whole life doing nonprofits, helping people. Like Billy was telling me, he wakes up and says, what's the nonprofit of the day, babe? I think that those people that you've put on, John Growney, Joe Beaver, Pam Minnick, Clint Rasmussen, Donnie Gay, they're awesome. I remember being a kid at Rapid City uh, Stock Show, and I was just at that age, I'm sneaking behind the chutes, wanting to watch the bucking horses. And if you've ever been up to Rapid City in the wintertime, the Black Hills Stock Show is the biggest thing going. Like it's the only thing you could really look forward to in a terrible winter up there in about four states. So it's a big thing, right? When they bring the pro rodeo there, every big dog's there, world champ, everybody that all the kids want to be, right? So, so we sneak behind the bucking chutes. We're sitting on the and Flint's going around the arena, giving away free stuff. And, and we've talked to Flint before a little bit, like we're friends or anything, but I mean, seeing him around the rodeos and I'm, we're like, Hey, right here, Flint, right here. He's driving by in a truck. He goes, do you pay for that seat? I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> so look, looking, looking back. I mean, yes, we had a seat we paid for, but it was definitely not on the back, but Looking back, I mean, it's just moments like that where, like on John Growney's deal, when he's talking about Trevor Brazil and the director of the arena didn't know who Trevor Brazil was. You remember that? When he mm -hmm. says, this guy wants to know who you are. So guys that toe the line like that, hats off. I respect you. NFR Extra with our guest, Lee Olson from Olson Equine. After the break, we'll wrap up our conversation. December in Vegas. What does that mean? It's time for the Wrangler NFR and the Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas, the ultimate shopping and entertainment experience. Catch live shows on the Ariat Rodeo Live Stage, the Yeti Junior World Finals, autograph sessions, and much more. Open daily with free admission at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Visit NFRExperience.com for details. The Cowboy Channel Cowboy Christmas. It's all here. Hi, this is Jim Dewey Brown, General Manager of Prescott Frontier Days, joining you on NFR Extra. NFR Extra with Lee Olson. You know, rodeo is tough, right? I mean, it's it's made out of dirt and leather and, and shoes and, and just grit and bones and blood. And I mean, it's got a lot, right? But there's there's a soul and a heart to it that makes it all tick. And you know, with that comes a lot of kind of different angles and how people see things. And you're right. You know, it, it's, you know, my dad used to tell me that, you know, it, it's, it's easier to hate than it is to love. Right. And, and some people take that route, man. And they, they just, 
you know, they, they can do a lot of, they can do a lot of talking behind a keyboard. Right. And, 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 a, and a screen and yet, yeah, but try to get in the shoes of these people and what they do for the business. It ain't happening. Right. And it's, yeah, it, that's part of what this podcast is about, right? Is to expose a lot of these stories. And so you get to get to know these people. I mean, me personally, not being a kind of a guy that grew up in this business, all these people that you mentioned, I, man, they are fun as heck to talk to on this podcast. We like Joe Beaver. We've actually had to edit out a lot of the conversation because we just keep on going. Same with Donnie Gay, right? Um, you know, Brownie uh, had us crying, man. You know, we were crying. You know, grown men, you know, I guess you're supposed not to cry, right? Well, that, that ain't the case with cowboys, not right. real cowboys. Pam, well, she grew up here in Vegas, man. I mean, it was just, for me personally, you talk about a Las Vegas, I'm coming at you, right? Like, that's just, we're, we're you know, we're desert rats down here. We're tough as heck, man. We live in <laughs> buck 18 weather and, you know, no water. Yeah, but you're right. I It's it's tough when you see the kind of comments around the, those folks. But the ones that matter and then they know these folks and what they mean to the business. I mean, they get their credit. That's for sure. And that's why we're there. That's why they're at where they're at. That's why they're in front of the camera. That's why they get to do the business they do. And it's hard work. And I mean, it's just getting in front of the camera, sure. preparing for all that stuff. A lot of people don't want to put their mind to work. You know, that's, that's where that lazy mind comes into and they, they don't have lazy minds. That's cool. You bring that up. Yeah. We love them. I, I mean, there, there's a lot more, obviously we get to talk to and well, Lee Olson's one of them, man. Yeah. We're finding out here. I uh, appreciate that. You know, um, another one that I, I think you'd appreciate the story is I have to make myself talk to people that I don't know. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm wearing a hat in a place where hats aren't really accepted, you know, everybody's watching you. And I feel a responsibility to be nice to those people, even if it's people that maybe aren't my style or don't have anything to gain or anything like that. I, hey, how are you? Hold the door type of thing. Because I remember being at a college rodeo in Dickinson or we were someplace and Dickinson had a name for being a party school, which was accurate, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But I feel like we were very respectful though too. And I remember there was a long line and I was riding my head horse. I had to go through it this long. This line was like 400 feet long or something like that. And I had to get to the trailer. So I rode up and I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. Could I sneak through here real quick? And but as I walked through, I heard behind me, just another one of those pricks from Dickinson. I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> and I was very nice. So I feel that as a whole, as an industry, I think that it's not like you got to buy everybody lunch or something, but I think that I think it's a good thing to be a good image for Cowboys because like, I like the show Yellowstone. There gets a lot of negative feedback on what the Cowboys really are. When you talk about Cowboys, I think about the people that we talked about, John, Joe, Flint, Don, Peyton Bray, Chad Masters, Luke Brown, um, Paul Eves. Those guys, those are Cowboys that I'm proud to be associated with. Keith Mundy, who runs American Hat has a great set. You know, he, um, it's just, he runs into the same stuff I do shoeing, you know, like everybody wants you to critique their shoeing. It's like, I don't want to go there at all because I don't, you'll never look good talking bad about somebody else. Right. So what he'll say is that I won't say anything about your hat, but you know what I will do? I'll tell you about my hat. And I always thought that was so classy, but I remember a story that he told me about he's in Las Vegas and there's this guy from New York going to buy a hat. 
He's like, you know, I really like that hat. But, you know, I'm not a cowboy. I live in New York. I live in an apartment. He goes, well, sir, being a cowboy doesn't have a thing to do about owning a horse. Doesn't have a thing to do with owning a ranch. Being a cowboy is a state of mind and the way that you act and the way that you treat people. So when you put that hat on in New York City, you're a cowboy and a friend of mine. I thought that was awesome. Some good marketing, man. That's awesome. Hell yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he sold the hat too, so I guess he's good. But, <laughs> but, I do, but I do think, though, I think if we attack the world like that, like I know John Growney has talked several times about, you know, those, those guys that go to the rodeo and then they jump in their car and they leave. What's the great bull rider that um, uh, Dale B- Brisby's always got him on and he's monster? J.B. Um, Mooney. J.B. Mooney. I remember seeing on Facebook that he knocked off at the radio. The guy who won the radio left, and J.B. sat there and signed autographs for two hours. That's, the, that's awesome, you know? I, it's hard in the moment, you know, but um, I just I feel like that goes a long way in the industry. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, you're right, man. And JB is an awesome dude, man. I mean, that's this, this road. And that's part of the, I think the marketing side for what we try to do, right? You try to expose all the good that's in it, right? It's again, easy to hate, harder to love, man. And you gotta, you gotta find those folks. You gotta expose them. It only makes the business that much better. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point though. I mean, and then JB is a fantastic point of that. No doubt about it. Um, you know, you know, another one that I, that comes to mind, that's a great point that, I don't, I don't personally know him. I have a lot of friends that do that say he's legit, but Cody Johnson, all of his songs, the way he acts, how good he is to his wife. To me, that is just a beacon of hope, you know, in a world, especially in the music industry. Um, just, he steps up there and he talks about God. He talks about America. He talks about his, his wife. Bill. I mean, he talks about party and stuff. And that's awesome. I, I do too. Yeah. But I just feel like guys like that should be put on a pedestal and uh, because so, so you meet so many those people that try to do that. Then you meet them. They're like, well, this is way off. This is, this is false advertising, you know? <laughs> but, so, well, you're right, man. And we've had Cody on and he's fantastic. I mean, he's, he's actually a pretty realistic guy, man. I mean, he's for as big as he's blowing up and, selling out stadiums. He's, he's a legit individual. And we've, we've got to talk to him quite a few times on the podcast. And, uh, he's, uh, he's about as down to earth. That's as awesome. Yeah. This has been fantastically, it, you know, I think in, in the short run here, we've learned, uh, a number one about your business. First of all, love the pitch, man. I, I like for those listening, I, I like the concept of where, how you come out and do your business. I mean, that's amazing because a lot of people don't have a plan as I think you've always learned. And, I mean, if you don't have a plan, man, it's hard. It's hard to finish. It's hard to go forward. It's hard to do anything. And um, if you don't have a plan, that's the best plan in the world, and it's guaranteed to work because it's not going to work and it's going to fail you. So, not having yeah. a plan is a plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, ah, man, thank you for coming on. This was um, seriously, this was good stuff. This is uh, you're a great dude, man. You're good. Again, the podcast is to expose folks that maybe don't get to have these conversations a lot of times. I mean, podcast world before or prior to all this, you know, Rodeo didn't have a lot of airtime, right? There wasn't nowhere to listen to people's stories and people don't like to read anymore. So that kind of hurts everything. So again, 
people get to hear people's stories, their business, what they do. I mean, this, this is uh, fantastic, man. Thank you, sir. Thank yeah, you. Thank you all. Have a great day. All right, Desperados, last call. I haven't been this excited for 21 since I myself was 20. <laughs> because all of this just... It, it is last call. The only problem is we're sober. <laughs> exactly. Let's do this. All right. You ever want to go on a trip? I love going on trips. Do you? Yes. Because this South Side 45 will take you up to a place you want to be. Uh, mm. Tastes like bad decisions and good memories to mm. me. <laughs> All I right. like it. Since you're asking questions about where we want to go, yeah, we're going to try something new. A little okay. would you rather. So first, would you rather be able to talk to land animals, animals that fly, or animals that live underwater? Well, I don't really see any benefit of talking to animals that live underwater. Okay. You really? You you don't think it would be cool to talk to a whale and like see where it's been? Nope. All right. Nope. All right. It means you got to be in the water. In the water are sharks. I don't like sharks. Cut the water out. Okay. I'd say the flying part, man. Talk to animals that can fly. Like what? What specifically would you want to know about a bird that gets up in the air? How high can you fly? Yeah. Do you see any elk over there or something like that? I mean, you could really have a good con conversation. Okay. Hey, stop doing that. Your wife's almost home. I can see her. <laughs> That's the dirty bird. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I already talked to him. Uh, All right, I got one. Would you rather know how above or below average you are at everything or know how above or below average people are at one skill set or talent just by looking at them? I'd, I'd want to know personally where I'm at, you know, because I, I think I'm a pretty decent judge of what other people are able yeah. of doing, but I, I always want to be like self-checking and like, yeah. what are you able to do? What can you yeah. accomplish? Where are you falling short? Yeah. So that, that'd be my thing. I've got the other skill. You're below average. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Would you rather give up all drinks except for water? Mm. Let's see. Or give up eating anything that was cooked in an oven? Yeah. We're, we're going, we're, the oven's out for sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, oven's gone. Really? Yeah. That, I mean, because sometimes what I drink is what I eat also. <laughs> okay. Can you, so you're giving up cakes, cookies? Dead. I don't care. All of it. Adios. Okay. All right. So I, have the, no, I have no use for that sort You're of just going to become the grill master then. Oh yeah, for sure. Would you rather live until you're 200, but look like you're 200 the whole time, even though you're healthy, or look like you're 25 all the way until you die at the ripe age of 65? 25 to 65. All day long. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Cheers I on that one, brother. Yeah. Absolutely. Here for a good time. Vanity. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not just a mirror with lights on it. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather be able to see 10 minutes into your own future or 10 minutes into the future of anyone but yourself? I'm going to go into my own future because that would have been really beneficial here all last night. 10 at minutes. At the craps table. Yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes. Where am I at, baby? Uh, can we stop now? Is there yeah. any way that we can just cash out yeah. and go back to the room? And like right now, I'd be like, eh, we're going to drink six of these. Yeah. 10 minutes into the future, we might try to film another segment or we might go take a nap. So, yeah. Yeah. Would you rather your only mode of transportation be a donkey or a giraffe? Uh, 
I mean, me personally, I'm short. Yeah. The, the giraffe would be embarrassing, yeah. like trying to crawl up one yeah. leg without steps on the ladder. So uh, a short little burrow would be just fine for me. I mean, just like Ron White said, so you, you can take the donkey or the tram, it is the same price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Andy's an ass guy. <laughs> okay. Would you rather see behind every closed door or be able to guess the combination of every safe in America? Well, I, I'd go with the combination of every safe in America for obvious reasons. What are those obvious reasons? Because, I mean, I like seeing around corners and peeking behind doors myself. <sighs> you know what's in there, man. If you had the combination, you know it's right there. Yeah, but I could see what's in the next room. Yeah, you bump into something, man. Yeah, no, I'm going with the combination. It was my question, not yours. Oh, speaking of your questions, sorry. Would you rather every shirt you ever wear be kind of itchy or only be able to use one ply toilet paper? Oh, that's so hard. Itchy shirts. One ply usually is. No, hard. no, but <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing with one ply. If if you're not in a pinch, you can just go take a shower. Like yeah. you can clean everything and start fresh. But an itchy shirt, that will ruin your day. And, and it looks like you're jonesing. Yeah. You know, you're just like, ah, hey, it, itchy. Uh, it, it, no, I, I think I think I could deal with the one ply and just make sure that I'm Roll wiping efficiently. It. Yeah. It got awkward, didn't it? It did. Okay. All right. Would you rather be an average person in the present or the king of a country 2,500 years ago? I'd love to say, you know, God put me right where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty average now, so I'd try out the king thing. I here Here's the only thing that scares me about being a king 2,500 years ago. If you were alive 2,500 years ago, you could literally get a scratch and die like three days later of dysentery. So with today's medical advances, yeah. I'd like to be an average person that retires at, you know, 72 after I get over my gambling yeah. addiction. You know, that, that to me is more appealing because I know that there's antibiotics on hand and I might live to be 145, you know. Well, but. congratulations. You're well on your way to being extra average. <laughs> Would you rather have edible spaghetti hair that regrows every night or sweet, sweat, not sweet, mm. sweat maple syrup? As a man that has issues with uh, hair growth and retention, I, I just, I'd have the spaghetti because maple syrup's good, but it's, I don't want stuff sticking to me whenever I sweat. Uh, like I hate when you get too much maple syrup on your fingers, just when you're trying to enjoy pancakes on a Sunday morning. So, you know. Cheers to the guys without hair. I'd, I'd rather go with the spaghetti I'm hair. proud of you. Thank you. Your turn. Uh, I'm out of questions, so we're out of the segment. <laughs> and that's last call. We gotta get out of here. See you guys. We want to thank Lee Olson for hanging out with us on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Gotta make it out the And the boobs and the browns And the ladies in the skin-tight ringers And the cowboy hats And it don't get 